But if you look at some of the theologically rigorous definitions of evangelicalism, um, Barna Group, for example, has one. You're talking about, in the Protestant world, the people who broadly, disagree, broadly agree with evangelical Christianity are less than 10% of the population. Thank you for joining us for the Winsome Conviction Podcast. It's part of the Winsome Conviction Project that's hosted here at Biola University that takes a look at the uh, challenging problems of communicating within our contemporary culture, particularly with the polarized conversations we're having. How can we communicate with love and respect, cultivating convictions that differ, but are respectfully held and lovingly communicated? My name's Rick Langer, and I'm one of your hosts here, along with Tim Muehlhoff, uh, the co-directors of the, of the project. And here's an interesting question we'd like to think just a little bit about. What is it that Christians should expect from the world in which we live? Uh, how do we expect to be treated? How do we expect to fit in? The biblical answer, it seems, is that we should not expect to fit very well. We are in this world, but we are not of it, Jesus says. We are aliens exiles, sojourners, all terms that identify people who by definition do not belong in the place that they are. We are ambassadors from a distant land and we will one day return to our homeland, which is in heaven, not here on earth. In the meantime, we should expect to be hated because the world hated Jesus first. In this world, we will know persecution. So our only hope ultimately is our ultimate hope that Jesus will come and overcome this world. Indeed, we might even expect that friendship with this world means enmity with God. So if that's how we expect to fit in the outside world in general, why would we expect to fit any better within our political world? Is it uniquely different than the rest of the outside world? Is it not the realm of, quote, Gentile leadership, as Jesus described it, rules it over other people? And are we not called to do it completely different, be servants of all? Doesn't Paul contrast uh, the wisdom of this age and the power of this age, the wisdom and power that the Greeks and the Jews seek, and he describes that as the polar opposite of the Christian version, calling one wisdom and the other foolishness, and he's just saying that the two groups just view the labels oppositely. So what the one group thinks is wisdom, the other group thinks is foolishness, and vice versa. What one group thinks is power, the other group thinks is weakness, and vice versa. You can see the complete sense of disconnect that would, one would think one would have not only with the world in general, but with the political realm as well. So we wouldn't expect to fit in very well. So that's uh, a bit of an intro to uh, our guest for today's podcast, David French. And when he talks about this phenomenon, he talks about it as political homelessness. And he describes it by asking us to imagine that we've affiliated ourselves with a, quote, political team, but we're beginning to feel tensions. Eventually, he says, you might reach a breaking point. Perhaps someone on your team does something terribly wrong and it's just too much. Or perhaps you see a profound injustice. But only the other side seems truly motivated to address it. You're pro-life, and that's the reason why you want to join a throng of thousands of people and say words that are necessary and true. Black lives matter. But the instant you do that, you get questions and critiques. Are you a cultural Marxist now? Don't you know about critical race theory? Have you read the official BLM website? When all you wanted to do was stand against racism and brutality, a cause that seemed unquestionably just. More and more thoughtful and often young Christians are saying to me, I'm pro-life, I believe in religious freedom and free speech, I think we should welcome immigrants and refugees, and I desperately want racial reconciliation. Where do I fit? 
The answer is clear, nowhere. And that truth is a blessing if you embrace it. So writes David French. And then he goes on to say, so what should we do when contemporary political alignments do not match Christian moral imperatives? He says we should declare independence. No, that doesn't mean that we always vote for third parties, he goes on to say, nor does it mean refusing to work for a politician or run for office yourself. But it does mean holding that political affiliation very, very lightly. To put it differently, your commitment to Christ is permanent and eternal. Your commitment to a party or a politician is transient and ephemeral. On the surface, this feels like a hard road to walk in a highly polarized time. Um, so that's some of the perspective that David French gives. He raises this, uh, I think, super important question about how we kind of connect our convictions and express them in the realities of the circumstances we actually find ourselves in. We don't get to just live in an abstract world. We have to figure out how to live out our life in the time that we actually are called. There's a famous line from Charles Dickens that opens the book, A Tale of Two Cities. And he says it was the best of time and it was the worst of times. Art Buchwald, the famous columnist, added a phrase to that. It doesn't matter if it's the best of times or the worst of times. All that matters is that these are your times. And that's exactly what we're confronted with in our situation. We have to figure out how to navigate these waters. And so we've invited David French to help us think just a little bit more about that. He's an attorney, a political commentator, a New York Times bestselling author. He's also a graduate of Harvard Law School and spent much of his career representing religious liberty cases um, in various courts and contexts throughout the country. He's a senior fellow in a national, at the National Review Institute, and he's currently the senior editor of The Dispatch and a columnist for Time. And his latest book, released in uh, September 2020, is Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. So David French has spent a lot of time thinking about this, and we're really thrilled to be able to have him here as our guest. One of the things that uh, I would love to talk to him and hear a little bit from him about is an issue that he's raised before called uh, political homelessness. Here's the question I'd love to have you answer. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. So talk to me about that. <laughs> Unpack that for us. Yeah, you know, I think one, first we have to say, in, in a previous podcast I talked about that the biblically orthodox uh, position in the United States is a distinctly minority position. Uh, we have to sort of get over the, we've had this sort of idea that a lot of people say America is a Christian country. Well, it's America has been a Christian, a country disproportionately populated by Christians. Um, it is also Amer a country that is increasingly secularizing. And it's not secularizing at the same rate any, everywhere, and Christianity is not going to disappear anytime soon in this country. We're still a very religious country. But if you look at some of the various definitions of evangelicalism, um, the theologically rigorous definitions of evangelicalism, um, Barna Group, for example, has one. You're talking about, in the Protestant world, the people who broadly, disagree, broadly agree with evangelical Christianity are less than 10% of the population. Mm. Less than 10% of the population. So if that's, the, if, if that's a true number, and, and I believe that it is a true number, neither political party is going to, uh, and, and by the way, that less than 10% is, is a race neutral. That's not white evangelical or black evangelical. It is white, black brown, you know, you name it. And so in, 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 a, in a nation where more than 90% are going to disagree with us on some pretty fundamental theological issues, neither political party is going to be an instrument of biblical truth. There will be elements of the party 
that are going to be better than that that may be biblically aligned but as a whole they're not going to be biblically aligned as a whole yeah now there might be a lot of principles that are kind of neutral and 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 prudential you know is there a biblical position on whether puerto rico should be a state for example um i haven't been able to discern one you know (laughs) but it's a it's a a, certainly a legitimate debatable issue between christians so so if neither political party in a nation where around less than 10% are what you would call, you know, evangelical orthodox, then you're going to be ultimately pretty darn homeless if you're trying to adopt a holistic biblical approach to your engagement with culture. Um, and maybe even increasingly homeless as the culture grows more secular. I think that's just a realistic view. And, and so... Uh, in a real, in a very real way, that's liberating. Mm. And the key thing that it liberates you from is what uh, Tim Keller calls package deal ethics. And so, what package deal ethics essentially saying, okay, let's say I'm a Republican because I really feel strongly about life and religious liberty. I'm not as strongly interested in defense policy. I'm not as strongly interested in tax policy or net neutrality or regulatory reform. I may have opinions. But that's not what gets me up in the morning. What gets me up in the morning is life and religious liberty. Well, it's a day-to-day base, and also, and I may not even have a strong attachment to the particular politicians. But then the way the world works is the character and actions of the politicians uh, become incre- uh, very important to the success of the party. And so you find yourself defending the character and actions of the politicians, even though you might disagree with them, you feel obliged to support you them because you're to, on that team. Because you're on that team because that other thing that you care about that's not being talked about is at stake. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening, and I see this time and time again with Christians, is their day-to-day interaction with the world is not about life and religious liberty. It's not. It's about defending the Republican Party for a reason, in defending some things and actions or our policies that either contradict their values in some ways or they don't really care about for the sake of values they're not talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so this is what ends up happening when you become sort of all in in the partisan world is that you will often find you're down, you're, you know, say you're four or five years down the road and let's say you have a public voice and, and you look back and you say, how many times did I write or speak about or go on television or post on social media about the things that I really cared about? Mm. And how much was it defending the party over things I didn't really care about and the public didn't really hear me say what I really cared about? And, that, and that's one of the problems of sort of falling into that partisan mindset is that package deal ethics. And I thought Tim, Tim Keller articulated it in the 2018 New York Times op-ed, I thought beautifully. That's a, and that's a great point about how we, the, the, our lack of homelessness mm-hmm. leads us directly almost into this trap of package ethics. Because we feel so attached, we feel obliged to defend, whereas we had a higher measure of detachment and say, look, I may still vote Democratic or Republican, whatever it is that you're, you're voting, but the point is I, I am not deeply patched in, in the, the language we love to use for planet Earth of, hey, this world is not my home, I'm only passing through, that we have that sort of a sense of attachment, say, hey, at the moment, I'm voting this way because of key issues that align. 
But this is not an allegiance I have to defend, number one. And number two, there's no reason for me not to raise a prophetic voice against the elements of my team, mm -hmm. my party, that seem problematic. Because, you know, I'm not invested that way. I must speak with a prophetic voice to things I think that are going wrong. Well, you know, sort of the perfect example of this dichotomy is the contrasting responses to um, sexual misconduct by Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah. So yeah. Bill Clinton is, was a pro-choice pro politician who had an affair with an intern and obstructed justice about it. And, and at the time, you know, I'm living in Christian world at the time, and we're out, outraged by the pro-choice uh, position, and we're outraged by the infidelity and the, and the perjury. Mm -hmm. We're both outraged, and people wrote these eloquent statements about the importance of character in politicians. The Southern Baptist Convention wrote one in 1998 that yep. if you read it to this day, it's yeah. just, it's actually quite indicting. And it's very serious and it's very well, It's very thoughtful, it's very biblical. It seems like a wonderful position paper. I think it's a statement of theological truth. So then you have somebody who's pro-life, who engages in, engages in sexual misconduct, writes checks to pay off a porn star while he's president. You know, that this is, and and we and somebody's in jail for that scheme right now, and and what and then the the response is quite different. The response is quite different. And what you end up realizing, with the benefit of hindsight, is the attack on the character of Clinton was really a means to an end. The means to an end was perhaps. I mean, this is sort of maybe the best read on it. This is the most charitable read. The means to an end was to try to get a pro-choice politician out of office. Well, in the defense of Trump's infidelity or the minimization of it or the rationalization of it is also a means to an end. Mm. And the means to an end is preserving a pro-life politician in office. But what you end up doing, what you end up doing on a day-to-day -day basis is to, uh, you, what you end up doing is appearing a, to be a, a complete and utter hypocrite <laughs> because... Yeah. What ends up happening is you're 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 not talking about the main thing, the thing that's really motivating you. You're talking about the other thing, the thing that doesn't really motivate you, but you're wielding as a weapon. Yeah, and that's a problem. We we were working on a a, a voter's guide to help people think of both character and policy issues. And uh, one of the things I want to do for character things is give people some you know, some things to think about. So we, we listed some virtues, but then I was collecting some resources to say, you know, here's some things you can read to think about it more deeply. And I, I ended up deciding I, I can't use material either that's super recent or from the 1990s because it is so polarized by those two things. And so I picked up a couple of pieces that were from 2008, mm -hmm. which, by the way, pretty much still read like 1998. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was not quite as you know, attached to these distorting visions. But it seems to me like it has a, prof it, it's like a black hole that bends the light that goes around it. So yeah. we, we have this weird distorted vision that comes um, once the person becomes on our side. We can't see things that we saw so clearly mm. a, a few minutes ago about someone who's on the other. Well, I would say it's, unless you are, I'd say for the average person, given our, our, our polarized media environment, it becomes almost impossible to see things clearly. Um, people all the time ask me, how, how is it that so many Christians, um, you know, normal, average, everyday American evangelicals unreservedly support President Trump? And I have two answers. One is, well, 
a lot of people who sort of answer to the exit poll question that they're an evangelical Christian, um, quite frankly, they're, they're kind of nominal in their yeah. faith. Yep. Um, and they're mainly Republicans, and Republicans vote for Republicans. Um, that's just... You know, that's just life, you know, go, no matter what. Go figure. Who yeah. would have thunk it? The other is there's a lot of true, truly theologically orthodox, uh, biblical Christians who support Trump. And my argument to, to um, some of these guys who are just mystified by it is I say, if you consumed their news, you would be a Trump supporter too. Mm-hmm. That if you were in their media environment, you would absolutely believe that it was the right thing to to support President Trump, because the, the the media environment they're in has filtered out a lot of damaging information, has amplified and sometimes exaggerated the good, and has amplified and sometimes exaggerated the the you know the malice of Trump's opponents. And so, you don't have a proper view. And and one of the things I said, you know, this was last summer. There was this essay written called "Against David Frenchism" mm-hmm. that kind of ca- caught fire. Congratulations being an ism. Yeah, that was <laughs> well done. It was not intended as a compliment. Uh, and I wrote in my response to it, look, if I believe that was an accurate depiction of me, and if I believe that that was an accurate mm-hmm. depiction of Trump, I would be against David Frenchism also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they was not an accurate depiction of me, and it was not an accurate depiction of Trump. And so, like, you know, what's the old computer saying, garbage in, garbage out? Um, we have a problem with consuming information that produces flawed, uh, flawed thinking and flawed reasoning. And so for an awful lot of people, you know, quite frankly, if your news source is primetime Fox and your news source is talk radio, you have a particular picture of the president that is not, that is at odds with reality. Mm. And, and so quite literally, these Christians are in their own mind are not making the kinds of compromises that the rest of the world sees them as making because they don't perceive it because they don't have the information. And I've been, in, I'll, I'll quit monologuing in a second, but I've been in a, debates with a number of Christians about support for Trump. And what's fascinating to me is I've yet to debate somebody who had a full picture of the actions that Donald Trump has taken. Yeah. I haven't yet. And that is part of this weird side effect of of the uh, the the, I mean, the echo chamber of the media that we have. Yeah, I remember I, I lived overseas in a few different places in, in Germany and India, and I lived there long enough that I would be reading their papers. And this is back in the you know early '80s or late '70s, and uh, you know there was no internet, so I was having the international version of this phenomenon where all I would read would be information from this orientation from a completely different country. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to the U.S. or I get a letter from somebody, I'm like, wow, this sounds really different. Well, nowadays, you don't have to cross an ocean. You just choose whatever podcast you subscribe to. You choose whatever media source, and you get an even more, actually, I would argue, um, polarized uh, viewpoint for your, for your data. Uh, let me mention something. I, I stuck my feet in the fire, and I want to get your impression on this. Uh, it was to, uh, I was asked the question, what's the perspective of evangelicals? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, um, one enduring stereotype that we've wrestled with for a very long time is that of being a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the uh, host said to me, give me an example of it. Like, do you think that's a fair critique? And I said, let me give you an example where I think it's a fair critique. I said, so I have friends 
who never talk about abortion ever mm-hmm. until it's election time. <laughs> then I hear about the abortion holocaust, right? Which, by the way, I agree that that's I agree that it's horrifying when you look at the numbers. I'm deeply pro-life, but I have friends who only revive that rhetoric when it comes every four years because then it's an easy decision who to vote for. Because I'm tied to pro-life, and I'm going to vote for most likely the Republican on this issue. Talk to me a little bit about how to navigate this. I have so many of my friends who say, yeah, obviously I'm voting for him because he's pro-life. So, so one about the hypocrisy part, I, I think there's something about that is, listen, we, we can't just use, use the abortion statistics to get it out of jail card of how to vote every four years. If we believe it's this bad, it ought to be affecting us every single year and, and put our money where our mouth is. So talk to us a little bit about abortion uh-huh. and can't, is, is that, a, is that I'm, I'm stuck. I'm locked into one party for the rest of my life. So... Um, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, I've been pro-life for my entire adult life. Um, I founded the first pro-life, uh, I believe, in independent pro-life student club at, at Harvard Law School back in 1992. Mm. Um, pro-life lawyer, raised money for pro-life causes. I've helped raise millions of dollars for pro-life causes, litigated on behalf of pro-life students from coast to coast in the United States. And I'm kind of cynical about pro-life politics. Mm. I'm, I'm really pretty cynical because here's one of the things that I've seen about the pro-life reality on the ground is I have seen crisis pregnancies struggle with funding, living on shoestring budgets, struggle to staff with volunteers. Uh, I have talked to pro-life leaders who talk about the difficulty of raising money for pro-life causes compared to raising money for political, for just a political party or many other, many other causes. Um, I've seen it time and time again, this sort of daily struggle of those folks who are on the ground in the pro-life movement to have any support, to get any traction. But they're doing heroic work. I mean, crisis pregnancy centers are indispensable. And then I hear every four years, it's a genocide. It's like slavery. And one of my responses I've started to say is, I don't believe you believe that. I don't believe you believe that. Now, there are people who I know believe that, and by their actions. But I want to know, you know, if you, if you believe that, what have you done? Well, I've, I've voted once every four years. You don't believe it. I'm, you don't believe it. And what you're doing is you're using it as a rhetorical club to win a social media argument. That, that's what you're doing. Mm. And, and I'm, you know, I, th- I think at this point it's like if you've put your money where your mouth is, if you put your sweat equity where your mouth is, let's have a conversation. But if all you've done is vote and post, nah, nah, I don't think you're serious. Well, that's a, a really provocative and, and, and probably a helpful thing to stop and think about. Because provocative I think, is an understatement. Well, it, I mean, but rightfully so, right? I mean, part of this is, is, part of what we want to do is take a mirror and look at our own heart, our own conduct, and say, wow, that's right. And, and there's nothing wrong with being confronted and realize, man, I'm not living up faithfully to my own convictions. Thank you, David French, so much for joining us for this time. It's been a delight to have you, and, uh, and I trust our listeners will thoroughly enjoy it and perhaps been just a little bit provoked by some of the things that they've said. <laughs> 
Um, if you enjoyed this, we encourage you to uh, sign up, subscribe uh, to the Winsome Conviction podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however it is that you get your uh, podcasts. And we'd also encourage you to check out the winsomeconviction.com website for more resources, discussions, blogs, and things like that, talking about how we can cultivate conviction, hold them deeply, and also have loving conversations with one another about these matters of conviction. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.